Hello there, and welcome once again to Insight Peterborough. I'm Devin Wilkins. Insight Peterborough is a project of the Peterborough chapter of the Canadian Council of the Blind, otherwise known as the CCB. And if you'd like to find out more about the CCB, then just send an email to ccbpeterborough at gmail.com. That's ccbpeterborough at gmail.com. Well, the big news this week is that on Sunday next, that being June 28th, the Peterborough Transit will be shuffling all their routes around because they feel it's the best thing to do during the coronavirus uh, pandemic. And uh, I thought the best thing would be to get hold of uh, Laurie Stratton, who is the transit manager. And uh, it turned out that I got three for the price of one. (laughs) There is Laurie Stratton in the interview, and that's who I start out talking to. Then I talked to Jennifer, who is one of the uh, planners of this uh, change of uh, route. Uh, And also Trevor is a planner as well. So I do talk to all three of them at different points during this interview. I'll have this interview on hand. So if you want to hear it again or you want a copy of it, or whatever, I can um, get that to you, because I am quite sure that you won't be able to absorb all of this in one go. I know I certainly couldn't. Nevertheless, it is informative and uh, definitely worth listening to. Well, first of all, hi to all three of you, and welcome to the program. So I understand that big changes are coming to Peterborough Transit. Are these uh, changes uh, going to be the permanent changes that you've been sort of talking about for the last little while? No, they're not, Devin, actually. We don't have a timeline for the changes because, of course, in the current health crisis and as we look to the reopening and recovery of in the province, we don't have timelines on that. These adjustments are specifically designed to alleviate some concerns, some extreme concerns to protect the public health and safety, as well as that of our employees through that period. Okay. Now, um, before we get talking about possible route changes, um, is the bus ride going to be a little uh, different than it usually is? So, if you're talking about uh, fare and how we board the bus and that, yeah, yes, absolutely, things will be a little bit different for folks after a while. We're going to start the service on June 28th, and we will be uh, continuing with rear door boarding and no fare collection as we're installing uh, protective barriers around our driver's cab area. And, of course, we don't want to return to their uh, collection until we can do so safely. Uh, Our customers can expect to see our drivers wearing um, masks, screens, and gloves, particularly when boarding and concerning accessibility customers. Okay. Don't wander too uh, far away from the phone. Oh, okay. Sorry about that, Devin. Um, So our customers can also expect to see... uh, our drivers wearing uh, masks, gloves, and face shields, particularly when securing and boarding and securing our accessibility customers. Um, we have some expectations for the public when they're traveling, of course, as well, which is really on a focus for keeping each other safe as well. Um, we know that physical distancing is a challenge on public transit. So we're asking that if people are not well, that they don't use public transit. Uh, and we do strongly recommend that people follow public health directives to wear masks um, and put those on before they board. We 
do understand um, and ask for everyone's patience. There are people who cannot wear masks for a variety of reasons, and we want to be respectful of, of all of our customers equally. We're going to ask as we roll out of the 140 that people sit in designated seats and they stay seated while the bus is in motion uh, and to stay behind um, the red line that's on the floor of the bus to allow a safe physical distance between customers and our drivers. Uh, we recommend strongly, as with public health, echoing that you know people should be carrying hand sanitizer, using that before and after uh, traveling on public transit, lots of hand washing. Um, our accessible services do have hand sanitizer available uh, on, board our, on board that particular service, and we're going to continue our enhanced and improved cleaning of buses. Okay. Um, will the uh, handy van... Uh, I've noticed lately, for example, that if you call the handy van number, you can't uh, get anyone directly. Is that going to change or revert to back to the normal number that we call? Uh, so uh, we, we will still be having um, several points of contact for, for HandyVan when messages need to be, when messages do need to be left, and we do appreciate people's patience with that. We still are under unusual working times to keep our, our employees safe, which is so important to us. However, the main line will be open. It is diverted to uh, our on-duty schedulers and customer service uh, folks. So, uh, we, again, we're just we're going to have to work through this with a little bit of patience. I, I think that all depends on time of day when, when people are calling in that they may be having to leave a message. Ah, I see. Okay. So what can you tell us about the changes in the, the routes? I, I understand, for example, that... Not all buses will be leaving from the bus terminal. No. So these are significant uh, changes in terms of our routes, and they were all for the purpose. So the good news, lots of changes, but it's, these changes will allow us to do the one thing we know we must do um, after keeping the public health and safety, after protecting the public health and safety, which is we have to go back to our regular hours of service. Businesses are opening, the economy is reopening, and we need to be there for people moving around the city. So the, the new route structure will allow us to do that. We have limited buses, we have a limited number of drivers, and so when you have limited resources, you just have to try to optimize those. Um, we are going from 17 routes that currently, I would say, pour in and out of the terminal with people getting on and off buses, waiting for more buses, waiting for transfers, sometimes for 40, 45 minutes. Um, we're going down to only four buses going directly into the terminal, four routes, and one route on Simcoe Street. So this will really uh, help us with alleviating um, the concern for congestion and inability to physically distance at the terminal. Okay. And what routes are going to go into the terminal? So I'm going to hand that over to the planning team, Devin, so that they can talk about what those look like. And they'll also talk about uh, perhaps the fact that in, in addition to those routes, the, we're increasing from one to three community bus routes. Uh -huh. Really vital, really vital to our seniors and to our um, accessibility community. So I'll, I'll put that over to Trevor and Jennifer to talk about it. All right. Yeah, Jennifer, if I could, sure. So that's the number two, Shimong. The number four, Weller. The number five, Parkway. And number six, Sherbrooke. And as well, the technology drive bus will also be. Okay. Now, I'm not familiar with that last term that you said, technology? Technology drive bus. So that's a bus that we do run three trips in the morning and three trips in the afternoon. I see. Okay. Um, 
Uh, now, all are all the other routes? Uh, how how are they working? Uh, like, so I can go through them if you want. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah, so there's a number three part, uh, and it travels from Trent University in the north end down to Summit Plaza, which is the plaza that has Canadian Tire and Sobeys between Lansdowne and Consilla, and then back up to, to Trent. So it's through the north end, down Park Street, and then over to Summit Plaza and back. Okay. So I've done two, three, I uh, listed four, five, six, so seven, uh, 7A and 7B. So that route travels between Trent East Bank and Fleming College, and it is on the east side of the city, uh, traveling north-south. Um, the Willow Creek Plaza, which has the Morello's Grocery Store on the east side, uh, down through the subdivision off of uh, River Road South and Otonaby, and then across Lansdowne Street all the way across over to Fleming. We then have and the reverse, and then we have the number eight Monaghan, and it travels from Trent West Bank through the north end, uh, along by Portage Place and Walmart on Tower Hill, and then it weaves its way down uh, through the hospital, uh, down Monaghan, and across Crawford over to Fleming. And then the number nine Park Hill, oh, sorry, and so then the reverse as well. And then the number nine Park Hill travels between the Trent East Bank, uh, down Armour Road, across Park Hill, and then leads its way down to Fleming, and then in the reverse as well. Okay. Um, are there, uh, are maps going to be available for people to figure out where they're supposed to be going? Yeah, so the way people can figure out, uh, you know, what buses they will need to use to get where they need to go, uh, we have our maps available on our website. There's a static map. There's an interactive map where you can click on stops and find information. Uh, that's a, that's a, a great resource to be able to go online. You can view and print the timetables. I know our GIS mapping department is looking to load up individual maps as well. Uh, because I know sometimes it's a bit overwhelming for people to look at the whole map. Some people only make use of, of one route. And then people are welcome to email us via the website. There's a couple of spots for feedback there. Uh, you can call in and ask questions of our administrative and dispatch staff. Uh, we also have uh, customer service ambassadors on the platform at the terminal. That started a couple days ago. So if people want to come down to the terminal and ask questions, uh, they're welcome to, to do that as well. Okay. Or call in. Did I mention call in? They can also call in. Oh, okay. All right. Good. And uh, just in addition to that, yeah, it's a little bit of uh, something for folks to look for at the beginning of the uh, next week. We will be having a roving info bus, which will travel around to some of our key locations, Walmart, Lansdowne Place. We'll be having one of our driver trainers and one of our customer service folks out there to engage with people at stops to let them know uh, how things will be changing as well. And a couple of other notes on our communication demo, because I know that's going to be really important. We do know that there is going to be some frustration and some confusion during the first few weeks. Yeah. But right now, ridership is lower. And so this gives us a really good opportunity to be flexible, to take feedback, um, and started to learn the system together, to learn to navigate the system together. We are working on having the Google Transit app. The data has been provided uh, to Google, and we're in the testing phase. If it doesn't launch on the day of the service change, it will launch shortly thereafter. And that will be an ex This is a global tool that, that uh, transit users uh, um, use to, to navigate their way around all sorts of around the world. Okay. And it's a good precursor to when we get our real-time app as well. Um, so look for, look for more news about that. And I also want to note um, that we will, our drivers are out actually doing videos of the routes. 
time. And again, we appreciate people's patience while we try to launch all this. And will all the transfer locations be accessible? Podcast download completed. Sorry, can we just start that again, uh, Trevor, your answer? Sure, no problem. Um, the, the, all the key uh, transfer locations um, are, are accessible. Um, there are a few that are, uh, we'll be working to um, have them upgraded in order to make sure that they are accessible depending upon uh, the needs of the customer. Uh, some, uh, some more towards the, the west end of the where a couple of the routes are across. Uh, we're not expecting to see a lot of transferring at those locations. But the main, the, the, the key main locations are, are definitely accessible uh, for, for transfers. Okay, that's great. Now, can we talk a little bit about the community buses, uh, what routes they're going to take, and what times? Uh, so the community buses... Um, Three community buses, so we've increased them from one to three community buses. Uh, there are there's the route number 21 is the green route. Uh, that particular route, uh, it will service the Lansdowne Place um, bus stop in front of the Real Canadian Superstore. Uh, it will serve the Walmart that's on um, Lansdowne Place, the, the Walmart of Fresh Cove. It will serve the. Uh, it will also uh, go into the Summit Plaza, which is where the Sobeys and the Canadian Tire is. Uh, it will go to the wellness center. Uh, it will also service the, uh, there's a residence on the Lansdowne District Board, Applewood. Um, so it will serve uh, the wellness center, St. Joseph Fleming, the Corta Heights Retirement Home. It will then service the hospital. Um, and after it services the hospital, it will then all the all of the community buses at the hospital, they all serve the, the main door loop at the hospital. Okay. Um, the bus will then go through the, uh, the Tallwood, Tallwood uh, Court area, and then it will find its way back down to Lansdowne Place. That sort of serve the green route number 21. Okay. Uh, and when it gets down to the downtown court, it gets down to Rome. 
Okay. trying to get on any of your buses and they need a little bit of assistance, is that still going to be available from the driver? You know, like trying to find a seat or getting uh, tied down for people who use wheelchairs? Oh, yes. So for uh, passengers who have mobility devices on the conventional buses, yeah, for sure we still have the same policy in terms of uh, securing mobility devices. That hasn't changed. Okay. Terrific. Devin, I do think it's important to, to upfront to say that so the customer experience um, is going to be different in a couple of, of new ways. Uh, the first will be that some people will notice that they have to travel a little bit further to get to their stop. The, the end result of having that little bit of extra travel for some people is extra hundred or a couple hundred meters, so about the length of the terminal once or twice. Um, but it seems far when it's something new. So what that allowed us to do was to straighten out the route and reduce overall travel time. So the majority of people were able to travel a little bit faster and spend less time on that bus where we know that physical distancing is a problem. Uh, one of the other things that people will experience that do is on-street transfers. So people are used to the fun in and out of the terminal where they wait, where they have no room to move around. Uh, on-street transfers may mean that through July and August, as we don't have um, we're not, you know, we're recovering in terms of ridership. Yeah. We don't have all the frequencies, so it'll mean a little bit of trip planning, which will be new, um, and it may mean a little bit of waiting street side, which will be new. We try to to um, use as many of our shelters as possible for people for while they're waiting, uh, but we we also encourage and and, and suggest that it's an opportunity to control their physical environment, street side, despite the short wait that it's been, been down here at the terminal. So those will be two new experiences for people. Um, it's a very style transit for people who've traveled in Burlington, Hamilton, Toronto, uh, Oshawa, the Preston region. It's a fairly typical way of doing things. But, but we know that, again, there'll be a little bit of confusion, a little bit of frustration. Why am I standing on the side of the street waiting? But the experience is really no different from what they had at the terminal. It's just a different place. So we just, again, ask you for, for people to give it an opportunity um, uh, as we see the benefits of this outweigh that, that initial uh, learning and, uh, and ramping up. Okay. Is there anything else that I should be touching on? I think I've covered, I think we've covered everything. Um, 
Okay, terrific. For people that are wanting to uh, phone in with with questions, do you suggest that they phone in or or ask the drivers? I would say our drivers are are being out and about learning, but I suggest they phone in. Jennifer, uh, our dispatch supervisory team and our customer service are fantastic. to begin with, and, and also the phone number that people should be calling. Yeah, so it's peterborough.ca slash transit. It's the city's website, and it's our transit page on that website. Right, okay. All right, and I'm sure if people just Google Peterborough Transit as well, it will, will come up. Um, and the phone number is 702-222-7000. 
0525. Okay. All right. Terrific. I can also give you the email address. Oh, yes. That would be good. So it's Transit Operations. Okay. At Peterborough.ca. All right. Okay. Good. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, uh, all of you, for answering my uh, questions. And I'm sure that uh, people listening might have more questions about specific routes that they'll be taking. So I'm sure you'll be hearing from them. We look forward to that. We look forward to that, Devin. Like we say, we know that there's going to be some frustration and confusion, but but we we are we are very proud of the efforts of this team. I'm very proud of the efforts of this team to come up with a solution that allows us to deliver a sustainable and safe service for the community during this time. Okay, that's that's great. Well, thanks again, and. Uh, any time that uh, you want any further announcements made or whatever, if you uh, keep my uh, contact information on file, um, I'll uh, do my best to uh, give you some assistance there. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for the support, Devin. We really continue to appreciate this partnership. If you do need to get hold of me, you can do so by sending an email to InsightPeterborough at gmail.com. That's InsightPeterborough at gmail.com. If you were listening last week, you'll remember that we went on an audible tour of Earlwood Home and found out what the interveners had done to make the home accessible for the residents of Earlwood Home, who are all deafblind in varying degrees. This week, we're speaking with Samantha Marin, who is the communication specialist with Deafblind Ontario, and uh, she fills us in on some of the services that they offer. I think you'll find it quite surprising how many people there actually are who are deafblind in Ontario. Well, hi, Samantha, and welcome to the program. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's really great to join in and speak during National Deafblind Awareness Month. As far as uh, deafblindness is, is concerned, do you have any statistics on how often that happens and are most people born deafblind, or is that something that most people acquire during the course of their lives? Right. Um, well, deafblindness, um, for those who may not know, is a combination of hearing and vision loss that's really unique to each person. Um, and this can impact access to information, communication, and mobility, and can also lead to social isolation and affect one's sense of community. Um, about one percent of Canada's population, um, or approximately 466,000 people are deafblind. And in Ontario, that number is an estimated 211,000 individuals. Um, when it comes to the causes of deafblindness, um, like you said, it's either acquired or congenital. And acquired um, deafblindness really applies to people who experience um, both vision and hearing loss later in life. So those losses may occur at separate times or simultaneously, um, and they may be progressive. So some causes of acquired deafblindness can be um, things like illness, accidents, um, or sensory loss as a result of aging. So 22% or just over 70,000 Ontarians, um, Ontarian seniors in home care and long-term care have reported experiencing vision and hearing loss combined. Um, and then when we look at congenital deafblindness, this really refers to people who are born with both a hearing and vision loss or who became deafblind um, before they've developed their symbolic language skills. Um, and some causes of congenital deafblindness are um, 
things like medical complications during pregnancy and birth, premature birth, um, or a range of syndromes like CHARGE, congenital rubella, Usher syndrome, um, Down syndrome, but um, really each case is individual. Do you find that there are more people with acquired deaf blindness than congenital? That uh, really depends. I think we'll see that number of acquired people with deaf blindness um, continue to increase as um, the aging population increases as well. Um, because, like I said, for um, somebody who maybe has had vision or hearing loss and then they experience the other sensory loss, um, then they will have that dual sensory loss. So when we're looking at numbers, 22% um, of seniors in home care and long-term care reporting that uh, vision and hearing loss combined is uh, quite a large number. And with the population aging, I do think that we could expect that to increase. I have two sisters of my own with macular degeneration and um, hearing loss that could probably benefit from some of your services. <laughs> right, right. And for um, a lot of people who experience acquired deaf blindness, they may not know what services are available to them as well. No, I, I would imagine they wouldn't have even thought of, uh, of, of you know, checking in. To, to find out. So what are uh, some of the services that you offer? Yeah, at um, DeafBlind Ontario Services, we support over 75 individuals with deafblindness across the province in um, 25 residential settings. Uh, these residential settings are um, customized support services across the province, and we have um, one of those locations in Peterborough, too. Um, our residential programs provide accessible, barrier-free, affordable housing and access to intervener services 24-7. So the role of the intervener is um, very immeasurable for someone with deaf blindness. They are truly a communication partner. Um, they're really the eyes and ears of the person with deaf blindness, and they do so through the sense of touch. So they're taking in that visual and auditory information to someone who is deafblind and then conveying it through that sense of touch. And um, at DeafBlind Ontario Services, our interveners really foster independence through a holistic and person-centered approach of do with, not for. So it's very um, active and engaging services that we provide. Um, we're really there to help someone be as independent as possible. Okay. Um, now, these residences that you talk about, like the, the one on Earlwood Drive that we have here in Peterborough, um, do they have a specific kind of um, facilities to make uh, the home more accessible to the people who live there? Yeah, they definitely do. Um, all of our locations are fully accessible to support a wide range of needs. And um, when those accessible features are implemented, um, it doesn't stop there. There's always updates that can be done to accessibility. Um, so features that our homes include are um, things like distinguishable floor surfaces. So um, ensuring that we have accessible, clear pathways of travel. Um, this might be for someone in a wheelchair or also someone who's being guided through the house or they're guiding themselves. Um, that clear pathway of travel ensures that things are safe. Uh, we look at things like different, different colored floors um, or even different textures of floors, you know, so um, maybe one room has a carpet and that's indicating the differentiation in room. We um, also have ramps to our locations, elevators, um, railings in every room for trailing. Um, we look at color contrasting paint, um, and this doesn't just go to the paint. It might be, you know, contrast in baseboards, ceilings. Um, very differentiated furniture, same with the handrails, they will stick out from the wall. Uh, we also look at lighting to ensure evenness um, and reducing glare. We have widened doorways, again, for wheelchair access, um, accessible washrooms with roll-in shower stalls, lifts, um, and many other accessible features. Um, here at DeafBlind Ontario Services, we have um, an accessibility guidelines for sensory loss available on our website. Um, and our third edition of that guideline is coming out very soon in the next couple weeks. 
Um, in this guide, we offer tons of different um, accessibility tips and also projects that the reader can implement. So um, not just for someone um, looking at a residential setting like what we provide, but again, for someone, um, you have a parent or a family member that is part of the aging population and you're looking at some things you can do to make their environment more accessible, the tips in that guide are really handy. Well, that'll be good. I'll look forward to reading that. That sounds very interesting. Yeah, we, we, uh, we'll be announcing the third edition within the coming weeks, and there's lots of little projects that people um, may not even be aware that they can do to, you know, make an area like their kitchen more accessible even. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I know uh, we have a chapter of the uh, Canadian Council of the Blind here in Peterborough, and we'd like to reach out to uh, uh, the deafblind residents. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one thing that maybe um, we could explore as to how we could make our meetings more accessible. For sure. Yeah. For sure, that would definitely be something we could look at. Yeah. Um, and I can, I can uh, let you know that in our Peterborough location, we actually um, just expanded to um, include a apartment um, with the house. Um, one of the people that we support in that location was ready for more independent living on their own. Uh -huh. um, and we received funding through the Lions Home for Deaf People and the City of Peterborough's investment in affordable housing program for that construction. So it's a really great progression for somebody. Um, maybe they're living with other people in their location and then they're really ready to take that next step to independent living even more so, you know, having their own place to call their own. Uh, we have eight, eight apartment programs, and those are really great experiences for those people ready to take those steps. Terrific. Now, is the apartment um, that is here in Peterborough, is it part of the home or is it uh, located elsewhere in the city? It's part of the home, so it's actually attached. Um, so the individual who moved is in an apartment that's still connected to the rest of the location. Okay, so they have easy access to um, their friends and uh, to in order to participate in what's going on. Exactly, it's a great way to still connect with um, other people that they once were, you know, staying rooming with. Yeah. As well as the interveners too, um, that work in one location versus the other is a great way to still stay connected. Um, the bond between the intervener and someone who's deafblind is really something that forms over time um, because they really are that bridge between the person with deafblindness and the world around them. Mm -hmm. They're, we're talking about social Podcast download completed. Oh, I'm sorry about that. That's okay. So you were saying there really are the, the bond uh, between um, what's going them, the person who is deafblind and, and the world around them? Yeah, yeah, the intervener forms such a strong bond with somebody who's deafblind. Um, they really are their eyes and ears, and they um, connect the person with deafblindness to the world around them. So they extend their reach. They really help them to be um, as independent as possible, and they really create a sense of social connectedness. Um, for the people that we support, the intervener um, helps them with all different parts of their day, this might look like, you know, meal prepping, grocery shopping. Um, prior to COVID-19 and some of the social distancing that we're looking at now, um, going out in the community and working at um, volunteer placement jobs. So the intervener is really that, that bridge and is so immeasurable and impactful for someone with deaf blindness. Um, and for people with deaf blindness across Canada, um, they have inconsistent access to support like intervener services. Mm -hmm. So each province or territory um, will be different than Ontario, and they have varying degrees of funding available to provide these specialized services. So um, access to intervener services or support services really is a basic human right, uh, regardless of where someone lives. And during June, which is National Deafblind Awareness Month, we really look at equal access to intervener services um, it's one of our big objectives during this month, um, which we celebrate in June because it's the birth month of Helen Keller. So for many people, Helen Keller is very internationally recognized. Yes. Um, so we take the opportunity during the month to really 
celebrate her and celebrate other people with deaf blindness, too. Um, and we're really looking at a level playing field for intervener services across Canada. Are you always uh, short of interveners? We are always hiring um, <laughs> at Deaf Ontario Services. We have a very wide um, and expansive team because we are based all across the province of Ontario. So we're in urban centers and also rural areas across the province. Um, so with that in mind, we are always hiring. Um, and if someone is interested in learning more about intervener services or a career as an intervener, um, they can learn more on our website, deafblindontario.com. Um, it's really a profession that's very rewarding. And um, it's also something we do provide specialized training for. Okay. Um, so do you provide it or does the person have to go to uh, a community college? It can be a little bit of a mixed approach. Um, there is one college in Ontario that offers intervener services um, as a college program, and that's George Brown College. Mm -hmm. um, if someone is interested in a career as an intervener, though, um, there are many applicable skill sets, whether it's you know being a DSW or a PSW, or maybe it's someone who's just looking for a career change at some point in their life. Um, here at our organization, we do offer the specialized training needed to become an intervener um, because we really recognize that we are looking for um, a candidate with the right values in place, like being very passionate about the people that we support, resilient and collaborative. And if, if someone exhibits those values, then we want to make sure they have the opportunity to have a career in an area that interests them. When I was first introduced to uh, someone who is deafblind, um, he used the two-hand manual alphabet uh, to communicate. Now, is that still in use, or is it mostly sign language? It really depends person to person. So everyone with deaf blindness is going to have a varying degree of sensory loss. Um, so that can take many different forms, and so we can't take such a cookie-cutter approach for communication. Mm -hmm. um, at our organization, we really look at each person and their own unique and individual way of communicating, um, and that's based on many factors, including their range of vision and hearing. Um, so we will take a total communication approach, which is going to use as many methods of communication um, needed to facilitate that exchange of information. And someone may um, receptively and expressively communicate in different ways. So like you said, um, there are many methods of communication. Um, Two-hand manual is one of those. Um, there, are, there are many, but some that we see often may be um, American Sign Language or um, Signing Exact English, um, maybe someone who uses finger spelling, Braille, um, maybe the French Sign Language, LSQ. Um, perhaps they do print on palm. It's very tailored to each person, um, and I've seen uh, people that we support um, receptively communicate in one way and expressively communicate in another. Oh. Another form of um, methods of communication that we look at are um, cues. And these are um, either concrete or tactile. Uh, they may be pictures or physical cues, and they're all part of that total communication approach. Um, but they're used in conjunction with speech, um, sign and gestures, to, um, also with a calendar system to represent an activity or people. Um, so an example of this might be um, someone that we support really enjoys going to Tim Hortons, and they um, really like to get tea every day. It's something that they look forward to. So they might have um, a cup that's from Tim Hortons, like a clean one that one of the interveners brought in for this use. Mm -hmm. And then they feel that cup, and they know, okay, now I'm going to go to Tim Hortons. Like, I recognize this feeling, you know, the shape of the lid, the look of it opening and closing, and mm -hmm. they know, okay, I'm going to go get might be, and they can anticipate that. Super. Yeah, that's great. Um, when people think about deaf blindness, uh, as we mentioned before, the first person that probably comes to mind is Helen Keller and the uh, movie The Miracle Worker. That's right. That has been done uh, a few times anyway. Mm -hmm. Um for someone who is born deaf-blind, mm -hmm. 
How do they begin to associate things with signs? Like I'm thinking of, of the, the scene in The Miracle Worker when Annie Sullivan made Helen understand that what was coming out of the, the, the water pump was water and W-A-T-E-R, you know, the letters um, spelled into her hand. How, how do they go about doing that? Right. Well, when we think about the movie The Miracle Worker um, and the story that that's telling, um, Anne Sullivan is really like a, a pioneer intervener in that, um, you know, true story also and in the screenplays. Um, but a lot of that communication um, really does come down to repetition and consistency. So if you're using, you know, your perseverance and you're taking the same consistent approach to describing something um, time in and time out, eventually someone will learn that association with um, the item and that object. Um, we have some examples of people that we support um, and their interveners working with them over time to teach them new um, cues that they can use. Um, so, again, like the Tim Hortons cup. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, there's so, so many cues that our interveners have developed for the people they support. They're incredibly, incredibly um, creative. It's really amazing. But someone, maybe they didn't have the concept in place of doing something like laundry before, but, you know, every week on the same day at the same time, they feel like a cotton cloth that represents doing laundry and then they go through the actions of doing that laundry, they will really begin to learn what that means for them. So that consistency is so, so crucial. Yes, I can imagine it would be. I know it's difficult with COVID-19 kind of lurking around, but do you have any special events planned for DeafBlind Awareness Month this year? Yeah, DeafBlind Awareness Month is definitely taking a different shape for us this year. In years past, we've had a lot more in-person events, of course, and now this year we're really looking at um, digital awareness building, um, and we're hoping that for 2021 we can get back to um, our normal events. Yes. Um, the CN Tower did light up in blue, um, along with other landmarks across Canada, um, all lit up in blue to celebrate DeafBlind Awareness Month. We're also taking to social media to really raise awareness about DeafBlindness, Mm -hmm. And um, this year, to commemorate um, five years since the Canadian Senate um, named National Deaf Plain Awareness Month in Canada, we created a video, um, and this was done with um, people all across Canada within the deafblind community. Um, it features clips of people from, you know, all provinces, ages, interveners, um, just to really celebrate and raise awareness that way. So that's been a really great compliment. Um, to our digital campaign this year is to have that video. And if anyone's interested in watching it, they can do so at DeafBlindNetworkOntario.com. DeafBlindNetworkOntario.com. That sounds very interesting. Yeah, it's, it's a really amazing video, and I think it, you know, when you have the video piece, it, I think it really brings a lot of the emotion and celebration to the month. And um, we're really looking at DeafBlind Awareness Month this year in that digital way. Mm -hmm. When you mentioned digital, it reminded me of another question I had for you. Is there any piece of technology that is helpful for people who are deafblind? Um, that, again, is somewhat of a method of communication. Um, I guess I, um, when I look at those methods of communication, um, technology is actually used by some of the people we support and people with deaf blindness for communication. Um, an instance of that is uh, one of the um, men that we support, he uses um, most frequently an iPad um, or a laptop to communicate. He um, uses ASL, mm -hmm. and so this provides him with a way to um, communicate with the outside world. Um, so that accessible technology is so important for someone like him. Yeah, that would be great. I would imagine uh, a lot of uh, people would use the Internet as well to kind yeah. of uh, broaden their their world, so to speak. Yeah, there, there's definitely 
Um, again, because communication is so custom tailored to each person, um, there are definitely people um, that also utilize the internet to communicate, to learn, you know, to check up on what's going on in the world. Um, that specific man that I was speaking about, he, he's been using the internet to learn more about what's going on with COVID-19, like so many of us. Mm -hmm. So it's very important to have that information available. And uh, I'm sure that, that you try to keep people that you're working with up with what's going on in the world generally, do you? Yes, definitely. That's a very important piece to um, independence, um, having that information. Mm -hmm. um, and so when, we, when we're looking at COVID-19, it's just a very interesting example of um, what social distancing might look like for some people versus others. So for someone with deaf blindness, um, social distancing is much less possible because they rely on that touch for communication. Yeah. Um, and it's really bringing the world closer to them. So for us here at our organization, um, our social distancing looks a lot different than uh, the six feet apart that's recommended mm -hmm. outside of um, our world. But we really do respect the you know concept behind social distancing. Um, within our locations, just to, again, ensure that the people we support, um, as well as the broader community and our employees are, you know, healthy and not getting exposed to COVID-19. Mm -hmm. So um, a universal precautions approach to infection control has been really crucial for us. Was it difficult to get across the message that uh, they would have to have uh, have to wash their hands more um, regularly, maybe, or more often, and and a bit more cautiously or carefully. For well, for our employees, um, that's definitely something that now is is customary. Um, that continuous, you know, washing your hands between um, working with different people within the location before touching, you know, high touch surfaces mm -hmm. um, while in our accessible vans. Um, and for the people that we support, again, um, like looking at something like COVID, it would be really conveyed again through that repetition and consistency and just informing the people that we support that, you know, this this is what we have to do now. Like um, our interveners are wearing cloth masks. So having the person feel the cloth mask and recognize like, okay, that is what's on their face and it, it's okay it's to keep everybody healthy and safe mm -hmm. and not just some object that is, like, unknown to the person. Yeah. Um, and for the people we support, their range in um, understanding maybe the implications of COVID-19 really range person to person. Um, and so, again, there also is that element of ensuring that um, the interveners are reducing stress and easing that tension um, or anxiety about the virus. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else or any other aspect that I haven't asked you about that you, you'd want to pass along? Yeah, no, I think you've been very thorough. Um, I would just want to convey that if anyone's interested in learning more about National Deafline Awareness Month um, or intervener services and maybe they're considering uh, learning more because they're interested in a career as an intervener, that they can do so at DeafblindOntario.com. Okay. And once again, the, the um, website for uh, the videos that you have made? Yes, um, that is available through DeafBlindOntarioNetwork.com. Okay, terrific. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for reaching out to me. Um, it's been really great to speak with you a little bit more about DeafBlindness during National DeafBlind Awareness Month. Yes, uh, thank you for doing that with us, uh, too. Well, believe it or not, that just about does it for this week's edition of Insight Peterborough. So have yourself a, a wonderful week. Stay safe and be well. And thank you so much for listening. Bye for now.